Welcome to Swanglinese, the only podcast talking the language of business here in the Middle East. Your hosts, Barry Lee Cummings and Oscar Andermo, give you their own insights, as well as interviewing business leaders in the region to help you on your entrepreneurial journey. Barry, Oscar, let's talk Swanglinese. Hello and a very warm welcome to Swanglinese from this week, Ghana. So it's Barry Lee Cummings here. I'm not able to join uh, with Oscar with our guest this week as I'm overseas in Ghana um, training their telecommunications provider on social media strategy and usage. But this week in Dubai, Oscar had the pleasure of sitting down with Dr. Anna, who is uh, the owner of a company called Up and Running. And they have a really interesting conversation about her story. She's been in and out of the UAE for a long, long time. In fact, we'll go so far as to say it's kind of brought up here and uh, gone through uh, education, gone through the changes that Dubai have gone through. And they had a really interesting chat about how to balance the fact that she's also the mother of three. She's a doctor and a business owner, the challenges that uh, that brings from an entrepreneurial perspective, and also how different the UAE is now today uh, from what it used to be back in the day. So this week, uh, Oscar's outsourced the intro to me, and it's a pleasure for me to welcome you to the episode. Take it away, Oscar. So, welcome to another episode of the Swinglinese podcast, and today I'm with uh, fellow Swede, Anna. Hi. <laughs> We're at her clinic, up and running, in Alvassal Road in Jumeirah, and she's going to share her story a little bit. Uh, Barry is actually in Ghana for some speaking and training, so he couldn't join us. And Barry, he, we actually looked up, he's been in this clinic, or he's been in the old clinic with Anna, 2011, because he was injured, he was out in the desert doing something. So he's he actually been treated by Anna. So Anna is, uh, yeah, tell us a little bit about yourself, Anna. Uh, thank you. Um, so I actually came to Dubai in 1976. Um, I have lived here on and off during my growth, um, during my youth. And um, I finally went to university in 89. I was at Jumeirah English Speaking School when it was a porter cabin and when the tent burnt down one weekend. Um, so we came back to no school and I also went to Dubai College and was head girl there in 88-89. Mm -hmm. um, so my story started at Dubai College when, my, uh, when we were trying to choose the A-levels and my PE teacher came up to me and um, said, have you decided what to do yet? Because I've been thinking about it for such a long time and I was thinking maybe a vet or... It was just a bit difficult to choose. And she said, Anna, I've got just the thing for you. You are sporty and you're really good at sciences. Why don't you do sports medicine? Mm -hmm. And to me, that was one of those light bulb moments for you that that's it. So straight away, uh, my decision was made, easy job. And I then uh, started looking at universities to do medicine. Mm -hmm. So um, obviously in those days, we didn't have access to internet. Uh, we didn't know many doctors, but I, I was led to believe five years of medical school and then you're a qualified doctor, which yes, in theory you are. However, I didn't realize that you'd then have to specialize. Mm. So I thought five years of medical school, I'll go to UK, do my uh, medicine, come back and I can start up my own sports medicine clinic. I then got to the UK, started medicine and that was in Leicester and um, to then find out that yes you qualify but then you have to do extra year of this and extra year of that and you might even have to do an extra seven years or plus until you specialize and not only that I then also found out that sports medicine didn't exist in the UK so uh -huh. I was completely gutted <laughs> um, eventually I realized um, I found my way around I completed my medicine 
um, and uh, tried various things. It wasn't quite what I wanted to do uh, because I actually enjoyed everything I did and I found everything a challenge. So struggled to find the right niche, um, having been disappointed by sports medicine. So in the end, I went down the general practice or family medicine route to then find that they'd started an MSc in Nottingham in sports and exercise medicine. So I applied, did that, and that was the start of my sports medicine direction. From then on, I uh, did lots of work with Leicester City Football Club, Leicester Tigers, uh, with UK Athletics, and any sporting events that I could. Worked with orthopedic surgeons, rheumatologists, physiotherapists, and grew my sort of experience from there. Um, I uh, eventually moved up to Harrogate and helped the primary care trust set up musculoskeletal services and uh, worked in Wakefield West and um, as a sports medicine or rather musculoskeletal doctor there as well. Um, and eventually I had all the credibility and credentials I needed to qualify for the health authority uh, in order to move back to Dubai. Um, and not just that, having, um, having lived in Dubai and come back to Dubai throughout the holidays, because my parents are still here, my brother and family are still here, this still, even after the 17 years, remained what I would call home. Mm. Um, England, yep, great place to learn, but it never felt like home to too me. Too much rain? Or? Too much rain, too <laughs> much grey, and everybody, all they talk about is the weather. <laughs> here we only talk about the weather in the summer when it's hot. And <laughs> true, true. Um, so uh, I moved back to Dubai and even that had its challenges um, as a single parent with two kids at the time um, and then trying to set up work. Fortunately my parents were here so they were great and helped out um, but it was also difficult to get licensed here. The DHA didn't recognize sports medicine so they had to create a new category and um, and through the interview process, again, they didn't quite understand what sports medics do mm. uh, because it's not orthopedics, it's not physiotherapy, it's not physiatry, it's a mix in between. Um, anyway, we got through those um, issues to the point where I then felt uh, that, yep, now's the right time to set up my clinic. Mm. Um, the interesting thing about Dubai is that having come fairly early on during the new changes within the DHA, um, we have, together with the DHA, created quite a few new categories as we've moved along um, and, and as things have changed, um, but it's actually growing with the change. Mm. Um, we had a few issues with trying to set up a number of clinics as time went on, and um, as a doctor, um, what I felt was um, I'd sort of sit down and say, right, what do we need to set up a clinic? having no business experience whatsoever, but sort of speaking mm. to my brother and father who have lots of experience within the sort of seismic and shipping industries mm. uh, and having set up companies, um, they asked me to create a business plan. So, um, <laughs> they didn't teach you that when you studied to become a doctor? How to do a business funnily plan? Funnily enough, no, it wasn't part of the curriculum. Um, so I, um, I got pen and paper and had, didn't have a clue what had to be entered there, but wrote some things down. And this and, was 2009, 2010? Uh, this was actually 2007 mm. uh, initially, so I'd moved back in 2006. Um, and I put together some figures and they said, well, Anna, this is never going to work. <laughs> and I said, of course it is. And I said, well, look at the figures yourself. Of course it's not going to work. And I said, well, I probably just got the wrong figures. It will work. It will work. And I was so determined to make this work. So fortunately, I had some funds that uh, I used to invest. Um, and we found the right location um, and started setting up 
what was or what is now up and running after having had quite a few mishaps along the way and <laughs> learning through certain challenging experiences. However, Up and Running started um, in 2010 um, with five people on board and we are now 56. That's a really big and nice journey and uh, I'm going to uh, ask more about that. But first, I I'm curious about life in the 70s and in the 80s in Dubai. How was it back then compared to now? It was wonderful. So having grown up here, there was huge freedom. However, there was always caution um, and trust. The parents wouldn't let you venture too far away. But uh, there was a small Swedish community. And I remember, at, um, I think it was probably in the early 80s, there was about 500 of us. Mm -hmm. And we used to go down um, the beach and meet on a regular basis and mm -hmm. bring our cars down and have barbecues together. So everyone knew each other. You know, everybody yeah. knew each other. Yeah. It was wonderful. Um, but Dubai has grown over time. So when we first came here, we lived in the, um, the other side of Safa Park, what I call the Dubai side of Safa Park. We were on the edge of Dubai. The rest was just sand dunes, yeah. <laughs> total sand dunes. And my dad took the car across the desert to drive across Sheikhzad Road, which was just a two-lane road. And the, driving to Abu Dhabi was a dirt track yeah. at the time. Um, we left and came back. And you know, as we've come back, we've sort of moved along the edge further and yeah. further. And now um, we're out um, in the lakes. Yeah. Um, uh, which really didn't was nowhere near existing. It was a desert yeah. at the time. Yeah. So we were lucky. We we had many years in Chicago Beach Village. Uh, okay. Gutted. My parents were the last to leave. Yeah. Chicago Beach was Jumeirah uh, Beach Hotel before, um, right? Chicago Beach Hotel, yeah. and then there was Chicago Beach Village, which was next door, which was um, some villas uh, on the beach. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. A compound, private compound. Mm -hmm. So that's where where we grew up. Yeah. Some things happen in there. In all these years. Quite a lot has happened. <laughs> a couple yes. of buildings, a couple of new roads. Yes. So, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So uh, back to uh, 2010, you set up the clinic and how was it like the first couple of weeks and uh, what was the journey? It was an interesting journey. Um, I'd worked with um, a clinic called Australian Family Care and Healthcare City initially um, before I set up. So that gave me um, some initial um, awareness of what was going on and who to network with and contacts and patient load. Um, I also worked at the Rugby Sevens and hence got known gradually throughout um, rugby teams, rugby clubs, schools. Um, it takes time to get recognised as a new, not just a new specialty, uh, but also a new doctor in Dubai. But having been here a long time, I had quite a lot of contacts which helped. Um, so yes, um, business started, um, people started coming through the doors and as you've got people on board in the clinic you start to think, oh okay, actually, yes we need a physiotherapist, what else do we need? We could do with an osteopath because that can also benefit the athletic population. So without knowing um, or having a definite plan, you sort of go with the flow and you think, oh yes, it'd be good to have a podiatrist or it'd be good to have somebody that does orthotics or yes, we could do with somebody who does sports massage. And as you go, you then start to recruit more and more people. That was not um, in the business plan. It was just... Uh, <laughs> it, was, it was a flowing business yeah, plan. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's um, many times how it is. You start, you test, and then you, you add things as per absolutely. what the client needs. And, yeah. Absolutely. And some of these specialties didn't exist in the DHA, so we had to go down there and explain mm. to them what it meant mm. so they could create new categories. And the DHA have worked with us great throughout the years. 
um, may I say not without challenges from, from all aspects, um, because Dubai's gone through a huge turmoil of change, yeah. um, and they've now got stricter and stricter rules, which is great, because at least now people know what the standards are. Uh, but at one point, they didn't have these strict rules, mm. um, and then it was a case of uh, people working within the box, and if it doesn't fit in the box, no, it doesn't categorize, unless mm. you can reach up to the right people who have the authority to override these decisions and understand where you're coming from. Mm. So um, you worked with some, uh, some big names you mentioned even before we started recording. And like one of my idols is Henrik Stenson and you worked with a couple of golfers. So how come you start working with these, uh, these I was, yeah. you mentioned Tiger Woods and some yes. other famous golfers. <laughs> Correct. Um, I've been working with the European Tour for nearly seven years now. Um, the European Tour, um, the Professional Golf Association um, from Europe, they used to mainly play in Europe, but they've expanded so that they can extend their season. And a lot of what they did was in the Middle East. So hence it made sense for them to have somebody with the right credentials and credibility to help cover their tour events to save costs on flying people out, etc. So um, Roger Hawkes, who's the medical director for the European Tour, um, and myself, I've known him for many years. Uh, we linked up with him and the uh, tour directors and, and then agreed that I would help to cover um, most of their um, events in the Middle East. So I was flying to Qatar, Bahrain um, and covering Abu Dhabi events and some of the Dubai events as well. And with that, obviously you build up a rapport with the um, professional athletes and yes, indeed, um, the big names as well. And many of them have come through the clinics um, for various reasons. And yeah, Henrik's great. He's yeah. got a great family. He's got yeah, his wife and yeah. kids. I follow him on social media and he's so funny on social media. Oh, so. he is. Yeah. yeah. We're building like a, a nice great guy. rapport. And I think yeah. what's nice when you work with them is you see them as people, mm. uh, not as sort of professionals. Yeah. And you can then sort of gain the trust. And yeah. over the years, it takes time to build up that trust. But over the years, they know they could just come to you and turn to you yeah. um, for any concerns or issues yeah. that they have. And we liaise with their trainers and their physios and their medical team accordingly yeah. a lot of them actually still live in dubai obviously unfortunately henrik left but mm, yeah, a lot yeah. of the other um big he's in florida now i believe yeah, but he was here for quite a yeah, couple of years he so. was yeah. yes indeed indeed yeah. so uh, I, I like i said before i work with something uh, called tags the ultimate goal seminar that i've been talking about before on the podcast we go out in the desert and we talk about goals so i'm very into this i think it's amazing that you can in your mind picture something and then turn it into reality and that's what you did you've mentioned that when did you set the goal to open a sports clinic in dubai was it before you became a doctor you mentioned uh that was when i was 17. so so that that's you already had a clear picture i want to have a clinic in dubai i didn't quite know how it was going to happen yeah. but I, yeah. it was going to happen yeah. in some way shape yeah. or form that's amazing and it took some time but eventually you turned that dream into reality yeah, I, did. And, yeah, I think i think it's really amazing and sometimes um when you know what you want and why, the how, it just it happens. So, yeah. um, You're a mom, you're a doctor, you're a business owner. How do you balance that? And how, uh, if you, someone listening that is, you know, maybe a specialist in some, some area and wants to start their own business, but they also have kids and, you know, how do you balance your time and how do you juggle everything? Yeah, it's challenging, uh, of course. And I think as an entrepreneur, um, we eat, sleep, talk, walk, everything we do is work. So whatever we, whenever we're thinking, often in the back of our mind, we're thinking work. I got to the point where whenever I was traveling or I was with a kid somewhere, if I saw something that I thought could benefit the clinic, 
or benefit the business, I'd take a picture of it. Mm. I'd make a sort of mental um, note of it. Um, to the point where it nearly became obsessive, but I was mm. collecting all these ideas as I was going, but ah, that'd be great for the clinic. Oh, yes, we could use that and we could use that. Um, but then over time, it started to take over my life quite a lot. Mm. Um, and as you say, as a business owner, you feel um, responsible in every single yeah. way. And as I, as I had, I had man, I've had uh, people help me and support me, but it's yet my responsibility ultimately. Mm. And also, I'm the, um, I am the owner and I've tried to keep it as a single owner um, as much as I could because I can be quite spontaneous. Mm. And I can sometimes say, right, I like the look of that, let's get it, without necessarily having the backup plan, mm. hence the business plan um, behind it. Um, but therefore, by me being responsible, then I, all I can do is blame myself if it doesn't work yeah, or doesn't yeah. function. Yeah. Um, but the life works. It's nice better. that you can then you can take quick decisions. You know, you don't have to ask anyone. Just <laughs> test it, and if it works, it works. Otherwise, you, yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. um, but I went through quite a turmoil about a year ago, where I ended up, through various reasons, having to manage the clinic as well as see patients mm -hmm. and be a clinician, and then have um, looking after my kids um, with the children's father moving to Cyprus. So. Mm -hmm that posed quite significant challenges mm. and unfortunately my children have had to uh, suffer a little bit this year mm. but we've now turned things around drastically mm. and very positive about the future now we've got some very exciting ideas ahead um, but that was a case of being available 24 7 or 365 mm. and every time the girls are saying mama will you get off that phone please <laughs> we said no phones at the dinner table and i said yeah yeah, yeah but this is just important yeah. Obviously, they feel it, and mm. I can see it in them, and it's been heartbreaking. But on the other hand, having, been, having had the opportunity to manage the clinic at the same time, you learn so much about the engine of how it works, the support staff you've got on board. You find out more about them, you learn how they do things, and you also see mistakes that have been made mm. by others, or you see mistakes that could be made, and quickly you can uh, rescue the issues that are going on. Mm. Um, and also, again, like I said before, take responsibility for, for things that haven't gone well, make decisions, right, that didn't work, fine, accept it, you've lost something, move on. Mm. Um, and through doing that, I understand the function that goes behind all the hard work that's needed for a business that um, and what it needs to sustain and continue and grow. So as an SME, there's so much going on behind and we've sort of been going and gradually um, growing and growing as time goes on and according to demand and we've had to move with the flow. Mm. There have been financial challenging times, there have been uh, challenges with staff um, and maintaining staff because there's been turmoil, but at the moment it's hugely positive mm. and finally now we've got um, some new aspirations um, and I'm having a long summer holiday and oh. I'm going to yeah, reintroduce myself to my children oh, okay, and we're all exactly. looking forward so, to it. Who is this person? Exactly, they'll get a shock of their life, yeah. I'll be sitting there twiddling my thumbs, not being able to sit still for two yeah. minutes. Uh, no, but no, it's, it's, yeah. it's all good and it's been uh, an amazing journey yeah. and my recommendations to anybody who is looking at setting up business who has children is um, make sure you have the right support structures and do more research than I did uh, in advance. Make sure if you get a good strong team behind you that can support you, then it means you don't have to run around and do everything. Mm. 
And I think my problem is um, I have been told various times that I do tend to micromanage a little bit mm. and I have to learn to let go. If you own a business, it's difficult to trust people to do the jobs at your own standards mm. and you think, well, it's just easier for me to get it done, it'll be quicker, easier. But then the other people, you don't give the other people chance to grow in their role, yeah. take responsibility and actually learn from their own mistakes. Yeah. So maybe costly, but hopefully not too many. Mm. But it's trying to guide them in the right direction rather than take the job off them and yeah. then they get frustrated and they don't know what they're supposed mm. to be doing. Well, is it you or me who's supposed to be doing this job? Mm. So I've learned a lot and I am now. Everybody's happy to hear, gradually let him go. Um, <laughs> I mean, when you've gone from four to 56 people, you, you cannot uh, be everywhere, of course, you know. So, uh, yeah, that's, I guess it's a big lesson. And, uh, you can't. Because I, I, a lot of, uh, I know, small business owners, they have this, uh, that, of course, it's their baby, so they want everything to be perfect, and then they become kind of control freaks, and, uh, you know. But yeah. you need to let go, otherwise. You know, Absolutely, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Any other, like, lessons on, uh, on business uh, that... Uh, yeah, maybe hiring right people or any other lessons that you learned that you want to share? Yeah, I think um, what you need to be, what, what my recommendations is, it's, it's all very easy to try and keep things within the team. However, if you're trying to grow, you need the right people in the right positions in order to allow growth. If you cut corners and try and create roles for people who aren't necessarily properly skilled, it will cost you in the long run because mm. you're then trying to teach them something that you don't know. Mm. Um, so I'd say yes it may cost more to get the right people on board but it will be a good investment long term yeah, yeah. Um, other than that do your figures mm. get your business plan right yeah, yeah. make the right get the right people to look at it I think the problem we had is knowing for example how much can we charge mm. yeah yeah you know and comparing that you're then calling other clinics and and then all of a sudden well what does that mean are the insurance going to cover it what if they mm. don't cover it how long am I going to spend with the patients? Because it's such a new venture. Mm. Now, what's exciting is about this business, um, and you know, we set this up from scratch. We had no experience within the field of sports medicine other than the fact of looking at what does the active population need. Now, having set up this very integrated clinic where we all speak to each other, we all so we follow the patient's journey from start to finish. Uh, we inter-refer, we do joint consultations, and sometimes there's even four clinicians in a room with one patient if we're really struggling to try and find out what's mm. going on. And once you've got what you think you need to um, treat these athletes and cater for the active population um, and grow the services, you then find from others that there's similar places being set up around the world that do exactly the same. Whereas before, you'd never even heard of such mm. integrated clinics. And people come in and say, wow, this is amazing. Uh, where did you get the idea from? And I said, well, I just listened to what the people wanted. Mm. Yeah. Um, so it's quite fun to have been part of the journey. Yeah. But obviously, if, it, if you're copying and pasting what somebody else does, it's easier to then do things right the first time round. But when mm. you're doing something new, there'll be loads of mistakes that you have to learn from along the way. Mm. Yeah, but then listening to the clients and the clients' needs and adjust accordingly. Then, so, yeah. yeah, absolutely. So uh, you're on your website, I mean, you don't only do elite athletes. You also, yeah. on the website, it says you do weekend warriors. I consider myself a weekend warrior. <laughs> so uh, 
like any advice on how to uh, prevent yourself from getting injured? Meaning you don't get any clients if they're all everyone is healthy. But. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, I mean, we, we focus a lot on preventative care as well. So um, what's important to us is educating patients and educating clients and customers outside uh, of the clinic. We go and do talks. Um, so hence we met at the mm. Norwegian Seaman Centre at a talk yeah. uh, where we talked about ergonomics in the workplace. Um, and I mean, the, the more we can educate people from the start, the more they're aware, the more we can hopefully prevent injuries further down the line. However, when people do get injured, they come into this... A sort of injury cycle that we have in the clinic where um, a doctor assesses them, come up with a working diagnosis, give them a whole range of treatment options that uh, they can have, which could be anything from just changing what they're doing, adapting mm. to what they're doing, taking some painkillers, having a little bit of rest because we get so many people that overtrain mm, uh, and yeah. they don't have enough rest periods. So that's a big one. <clears throat> and uh, then offering them maybe physiotherapy, chiropractor, <clears throat> sorry, osteopathy, sports massage, but talking to the patient, getting them involved in the management plan in order for them to comply. The last thing I can do to patients is say, right, well, stop running and you'll be fine. Yeah, yeah. That's not what they want to hear. For us, it's a case of um, actually negotiating the rehabilitation program and saying, okay, I'll let you run. However, as long as you just do the short runs and you don't do it on an incline, and you, you know, so you come up with ideas to work with it. Or you might say, Avoid impact sports, please, but you can go on the cross-trainer, you can uh, go on the bike, you can swim. Um, but generally, a lot of our patients, the aim is to not just treat the symptoms, but treat the source of the symptoms. And unless you treat the cause, they're going to come back. Or in fact, they may never come back. Yeah. Because the pain comes back and they'll think, well, that was a bad job. I won't go back to them. Uh, so, um, and I'll give you an example. So I had a patient with, um, who came to me with pain in her elbow, right elbow. And she's a tennis player, had been playing for 40 years, and um, she had suddenly developed an aggressive pain in her um, right elbow. Um, she was diagnosed with tennis elbow, of all things, and um, as a doctor then, our role is to try and identify, as I said, not just what, but why. So I um, look at, we discuss, uh, so you, you acted a bit like um, Sherlock Holmes. You ask all the questions. Yeah. Did you change your racket? Did you change your grip? Did you change your shoes? Did you change your serve? Uh, did you train more than normal? Have you had any other injuries? Um, went through all that, nothing had changed. And I was really trying to rack my brain to work out why has she developed tennis elbow. I could treat the tennis elbow and she'd feel great. We could go through the rehab. Worst case scenario, maybe give her an injection if everything else failed. Um, however, we needed a cause. So I examined her and throughout this, I actually found she had a stiff thoracic spine. As she had a stiff thoracic spine, it meant therefore that she couldn't rotate her back while she's doing the back serve, uh, sorry, the back um, backhand, and therefore she was compensating, mm -hmm. overusing her extensors. Mm -hmm. Hence, we had a reason. So by treating her back, and then treating the symptoms, she was then good to go and never came back with the same injury. <laughs> yeah, exactly. um, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And the, the, I mean, good stories with happy patients, that's what, uh, you know, builds your clinic. Like uh, that's how you get, uh, you know, the, the word of mouth is, uh, you know, is the best form of marketing. Totally. So, yeah. And when you get patients coming in and saying, three people told them this was the only place they should go, yeah. you feel you must have succeeded. And I think what we've really um, worked on and focused on is the fact that I'm not here for a quick fix. Yeah. This is my home, this is my livelihood, this is my reputation, mm. and this is something that I want 
the team together to build, to provide for the community of Dubai mm. and to make sure that we provide the best that we can at the highest standards we can. And unless we can maintain that reputation, that we'll be failing. Mm. So it's a case of bringing on the best clinicians we can, working as a team um, and making sure we get all the happy athletes yeah. <laughs> uh, as well as corporates and weekend warriors like <laughs> The weekend warriors, yeah, excellent. So... Uh, Thank you, Anna. The cause of Barry's problem was quad biking. So, Barry, you need to be careful when you go quad biking. The <laughs> Otherwise, you'll end up in Anna's clinic. But that's, uh, she'll take care of you, so that's fine. So. <laughs> uh, where can they find more about you? What's your website? Uh, www.upandrunningdubai.com yeah. Thank you so much for listening. I think for everyone out there, keep your dream alive. Uh, Anna had the dream for since she was 17, and now we're sitting in a beautiful clinic. So... Everyone keep your dream alive and keep work hard and make it happen. Thank you so much. Thank you for the opportunity. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Swanglinese with your hosts, Barry Lee Cummings and Oscar Endermo. We'll catch you next time.